Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. G'day, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Graeme. And you? I'm doing pretty well. It's good to see you. It's funny, though, you, you asked me how I was feeling earlier, and I said, well, you know, I've got all these old man's things happening. And we both described uh, how it affects us. But um, I love the way old age makes me think, but I don't like much the way it makes me feel. But yeah, anyway. you're old. I'm not. Yeah, well, that's right. I am. Yeah, we are a bit older, <laughs> aren't we? I mean, we're, we're older. Of course, we're getting older, but I'm older than you. Yeah. By how much? 66 versus 52. Two, yeah. 14 years. Yeah. Good grief. We would never have been friends at school. No, but we're mates now. Tell me, why do we call what we're doing Mates in Courage? Because we're the best of mates and both think the other is courageous. Yeah, well, I reckon you've got a lot of courage. Do you? You don't think you do, do you? No, I often don't, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I was talking to your son Benjamin about, about courage and how I was, I was telling him how I've seen... You know, some men quick to draw their sword and go into battle no matter what the consequences are and, and you just see their courage and their bravery. And, you know, I believe a man who uh, puts up with a menial job for 50 years of his life to get his kids educated and, and make sure everyone's happy and secure, he's a bit of a hero and a brave man. Yeah. I've seen you very, very courageous. You uh, you have stood up to adversarial groups of people based on your convictions and what you believe is right and... Um, and yet some people would look at you in stature or whatever and say, oh, yeah, he's just a mediocre sort of person like most of us are. But I've witnessed great courage in you, and that's one of the things I admire about you, which is why we're mates. Oh, Graham, thank you. I appreciated that uh, that you said that to my son too. That's always helpful. This could turn into a mutual admiration festival here, right here, Graham. Oh, let's enjoy it, because I think we talked about judgment at some time or another, and we, let's leave that at the door. Yeah, well... How long ago was it that we actually met? About 12 years, I think. Yeah. And the first time I met you, I couldn't work out what to make of you <laughs> at all. Joined the club. Yeah. But I knew that you are a man of courage. Why? How? I don't know. It's just one of those things. It took a lot of courage to walk into the church where I first met you, being an atheist only weeks before. I didn't know that. No, you didn't. But as soon as I saw you, I knew that, that you're a man of courage. That's when you said, we're going to work together. And yeah. and I sort of said, yeah, he's a courageous man with a bit of a loony streak. I must have uh, had some courage to approach you because you're pretty formidable. No, I wasn't. You were, you were dressed there in your three-piece suit and you just delivered a really powerful sermon in the church. And, and uh, I was a bit intimidated by you. Even when I walked up to you and I realised that I was probably 12 inches taller than you. Yeah, no offence well, or anything. No, that's all right. You've got it over me with uh, age. I've got it over you with height. That's it. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, these suits we put on, and it's, it's just clothes. It, it's like uh, protective armour because, yeah. you know, we might not be feeling particularly courageous. And you had a tie on and I yeah. did. But, you know, pretty quickly you shared some of your story and some of uh, mm. Michelle's story, your wife's story. And yeah. I was blown away with how courageous you were, uh, not just in that you were open enough to share the story with a bunch of people that you didn't, you hadn't known two weeks before, but how courageous you 
and your wife had been, you know, through your lives and your personal story with the way that, you know, you chose not to end your life. Yeah, well, mm. do you label someone who was going to kill themselves as courageous or chicken? I, I don't know. I Not ending my life was... Um, that was from that was a decision made in a much higher court than mine. Look, I don't label anyone who ends their their life anything. Yeah, you know? people do. I mean, uh, I've had that in the family. So yeah, and and when it's you've had it close to you, I think you've got any sense you have to suspend judgment. You know, well, you do because you love the person. I've shared with people how I came close to it. I mean, desperately close. Yeah. Only days from it, and and a lot of people said, well, that would have been a very selfish thing to do, but. But I would say to actually choose to, to live, whether you did it in a small way, a tiny way or a big way, and, and not taking that final decision, that takes courage because it Facing means, it means you're going to face it, it's, you're going to face your pain. Mm. You're going to face life. You're going to face uh, the other people that you know you feel you can't face. So yeah, I thought you were really courageous. And at that point, you know, you're at, at the initial steps of turning your life around. Very initial. Yeah, and but you could see you making those choices. I mm. thought that took so much courage. You know, it's easy just to keep going with your life the way it is. Most people do. Mm. There's nothing wrong with it, I guess, if you're in the same job. But I, I know people who have been in the same job always, who have lived in the same place always and who have always done the same things. Comfortable. And never challenged, never been challenged or never challenged themselves. Yeah. But you and your wife, Michelle, who, yeah. you know, and her story of being a, a survivor of sexual abuse within a church setting. Oh, you know, and more. And more. A lot more, I know. But I mean, when we talk about yeah. courage, you know, the minute someone says the word courage to me, I think of Michelle, straight up. Yeah. I've never seen anybody, male or female, as courageous as she is. Well, you better share a bit more. Yeah, she was a, a beautiful little Aboriginal, uh, adopted Aboriginal baby, adopted into a loving uh, Christian family on a farm setting. Everything was everything was everything should have been really good for her, but mm-hmm. at a very early age she was um, groomed by a predatory uh, church elder who, you know, was also uh, participating in, in leading kids out in various child activities at school and teen activities at school. Mm. And he was in an ideal environment. It was like a smorgasbord for him. And, and um, he started... Um, grooming her from the age of three with inappropriate touching and then that led to digital penetration and then eventually she was being raped every weekend. Mm. And that went on for six years until she could Mm. escape. And through all that time, you know, I often wondered how she saw God because this was all being conducted inside a church setting. Mm. And she always said that she she never lost sight of God. She had to look for God past the people. And she, she managed to maintain her belief in God and she kept looking to God and she had a feeling that God was going to do something mm-hmm. positive out of all of this one day. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, but that led to a whole life of um, her not feeling good enough, uh, running scared, uh, terrified of being who, who being herself because... If she shared any of her any of her anxieties around what happened, somebody may have asked her what happened, or how she was feeling, and she may have said, "Well, you know, I've been sexually abused." She didn't want that to happen. She didn't want to disrupt anything. But her whole life has been courageous in that she's uh, like you. She studied hard. She got into academia. She raised uh, four kids pretty much on her own without much help from her partner and the mm. father of the children, mm. and. Um, Never once did she think of uh, taking her own life. Uh, mm-hmm. She just soldiered on. 
And the day we met was a pivotal turning point in both of our lives because now 12 years, 12 and a half years on, we're the best of mates. She's flourishing, I'm flourishing. And it's living proof that God never wastes a hurt, you know. It's just, uh, look, I I know Michelle. Yeah. And, you know, a more lovely, loving, you know, gentle, caring, uh, open person. But she can be formidable too. Oh, yeah, she can be a bit scary. She's got a tough side. I've been a bit scared of her at times too. Yeah, me me too. But, you know, those things aren't mutually exclusive, you know. I I don't know people like her. And, you know, how you can come from that background and experience those things and end up as healthy and yeah. as healed as she is today that yeah. you know that's what you're talking about courage i've yeah. seen that as well uh when i've traveled to uh east africa in in rwanda some of the survivors their lives have been totally destroyed and they're bitter and full of anger yeah. like this is the survivors of the um you know the the genocide yeah that happened what I don't know, 12 years ago or so. Yeah. But then you meet some of these people who are just such beautiful, generous, giving people who have no uh, malice, no rancor, no bitterness against those who, do, you know, kill their families. And you wonder, how can that be? That takes courage. And that courage can only come from a high source as well. Yeah. You, you know, that love, that compassion and courage that goes with it can only come from a high source. But... Back looking at your life over the last twelve years, both from the inside and the outside, because I've you know we've we haven't always been living in each other's pockets in the last twelve years, but we've spent a lot of time together and dealing with some pretty major issues. Mm. You have never wavered, and you still don't. You know there are issues in your life that you're dealing with. You never waver. You never. You set a course. You make a decision. You think a thing through from every aspect, and you say to yourself, "This is the right thing to do." You talk to God about it, and you just keep going, regardless of the opposition. I don't know any other way to live. In terms of what you're saying, soon after you and I met, when you were you and Michelle were well, you were a very early, a very young Christian. Let's say yeah. Michelle had just come back. We faced some uh, together some great opposition in a in a religious setting. We did, you know, you and Michelle were in the initial stages of establishing a ministry to help. 12-step recovery ministry. Yeah, to yeah. help victims uh, like Michelle recover and you know, so sexual abuse survivors and uh, people with addictions and pride, men, <laughs> pride gossiping, and, yeah. and men with porn addictions, yeah, you know, exactly. and, and substance abuse and all these sorts of things. Yeah. That took a lot of courage because you, you and Michelle copped a lot of opposition uh, and I saw you not wither under that and uh, you still kept going. And you still kept your faith in God and you still kept helping people. I think the driver of that, Ellie, was the fact that we felt so appreciative that at the 11th hour when our lives were shattered beyond belief. Yeah. And I was, I was dazed from suicide that, that God stepped in and said, no, I've got a better opportunity for you. You know, I want the remote control of your life back because I've got something better for you to do. I was so grateful for what he was offering me. And the thought of actually doing what we were doing, and you're the same, you were doing it for the same reason. We were doing that because we felt it honoured God to do that. Mm. And God deserved that honour because he stepped in to turn our lives around and make them better. And I've seen him do that in your life so many times. And he's still mm. doing it. And he's mm. still doing it in mine, you know. And we're at the, um, well, I'm in the autumn of my years. You're just probably coming out of the tail end of the winter of yours, but... Um, Tail end of the winter. <laughs> is that right? Is that no, 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 no. No, oh, you're not. You're still in the summer, are you? That's it. Okay, you're still in the summer. To know that that power still works for 
for the good in my life and for the good in hers and yours just spurs you on to keep doing the things that need to be done, knowing that you're not doing it in your strength, you're doing it in his strength. Mm. And so does that really need courage or do you just need to hand it over to him and just go where he tells you, trusting that he's going to make it all good? You've continued to face opposition in in your ministry and continually, and I've seen you keep going. I've got to tell you, Graham, I don't know how you and Michelle cope with all the counselling that you've had to do over the Mm. years. Uh, you know, just having to listen and empathise with and and help so many broken people because, you know, you deal with the realities of life uh, that most of us would prefer to ignore. You know, the things that people don't talk about, they talk about to you and, and how you can have the courage uh, to keep going with all that and you have had for many years, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it, it ties you out but by the same token, for the last 12 years, we've had a ringside seat to the greatest show on earth because we've seen <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit and God change people's lives. Yeah. And if that means we've got to expose ourselves to a little bit of stress listening to other people's pain to get that opportunity, then, yeah, that's a price we'll gladly pay. Like, I, I work in a, a fairly high-income environment with with uh, pilots who are, have been well-paid for most of their careers, and they were very well set up for their future. Mm. I wish I was as well set up, but I, that's another story. But um, they often say to me, why do you do what you do? You know, you should be working extra overtime to build up your superannuation for your retirement and all that sort of thing. And I say to them, no amount of money will make you feel as good as getting a phone call or an email from somebody like the one I got not long ago from Gary in Arizona, who said that my chat with him on Facebook that particular night, and I'd never met him before, prevented him from killing himself. Mm. And now, and he went away to a rehab centre for six months, and he's given his life to God, and he's restored relationships with his family. I don't know, I don't know what you think, but I, I do know what you think. There's no amount of money in the world that can make you feel that good. Yeah. So, in a way, are we being altruistic i don't I'll, look we i think for the most part we gain so much from doing what we do i don't know that it's courageous i just think sometimes i think it's a bit selfish because they let us into the knot hole of their pain hmm. and that's an absolute privilege but hmm. it can be tiring yeah and you do it yeah you do it you know you, you yeah you're a pastor uh well i lead a christian gospel ministry but i'm not a pastor of a specific church yeah okay so I didn't say past it. I said pastor. <laughs> no, you're not past it. You're not because you're still in the summer of your life. Yeah. Well, um, I think I answered correctly. You did. So you, <laughs> you people have always talked to you about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You and I have shared some stuff over the last couple of days about you know some people who've come to you in tears and hmm. broken, not knowing which way their life's going, and and um, you know, and you've been there for them. Yeah. You're there for your family. Yeah. Man, you're really there for your family. Yeah, well, that's taken a bit of courage too, I think, if it's, I may say so myself. It, it really has. You know, you guys, yeah. have, you guys have weathered some pretty powerful storms. Yeah. Where do you draw your courage from? Well, it's nice of you to say that I'm courageous. I don't always think I am, but I'll own it. Well, I don't know any other way to live. I haven't always been courageous in the right direction, and the results of my decisions haven't always been good results. But I, I believe life is too short just to be a spectator. Yeah. You know, you have to make decisions. And you can't sit around for months or years trying to work out what they are. You have to make decisions. 
and they have to be the best decisions that you can. And ultimately, to make right decisions, I fall back on my faith, you know. I fall back on the fact that uh, I'm a child of God and I trust my Heavenly Father mm. and He sets out a path for me, uh, which is, gives me a basic template of what is right and, and wrong. And those are eternal things, mm. in a sense. But then I've got to say that I also draw my courage. There's two other areas I draw it from, I mean, they're related to that. The first one is that I, I spend quite a lot of time in prayer, not in traditional prayer, let's say. I don't kneel beside my bed and... Yeah, conversations with God. Yeah, I don't, you know, clasp my hands and repeat mantras. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go for a long walk uh, around the blocks of my suburb or better still the beach or one of the national parks and and uh, just uh, chat with God and, you know, share my heart with him and listen and hear what he has to say to me. The other place I draw the courage from is from uh, good friends, good mates like you. Mm-hmm. That's why this is called Mates in Courage. Yeah. I've drawn a lot of uh, a lot of my strength in, you know, the difficulties I faced in, you know, the, the recent year, for example, or even before then, you know, after my father's suicide and all yeah. the problems I've had with with uh, my family because I, I was disowned by my family after I, I was married and uh, always thought, I'd be reconciled with my father. I prayed for that, but it never happened. He, you know, he committed suicide instead. And I've drawn a lot of courage from, you know, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't have a lot of mates in terms of I'm not a really an, an extrovert. I don't have a gazillion friends, but I do have some few people who I really trust, and you're one of them. Sometimes, uh, you know, Graham, I, I give you a call, and the reason why I give you a call is because I'm, I'm having a weak day, yeah. you know? My world is crumbling around me, uh, and I yep. don't know how to cope anymore. Yep. And I'll give you a call, and and that's what mates are meant to do for each other, aren't they? They're meant to and you know some bolster, days, bolster each other up. Some days you've called me on on that on, on that pretext, and I've been having a really bad day at the same time. And for some reason, we both end up feeling better after we hang up. That's true. And there's a mutual benefit in that. Mm. Courage is courage. And the definition of courage is probably about 30 different definitions of courage. But courage, when blended with foolishness or, or uh, lacking in wisdom, can be pretty dangerous too. I remember when I first came into that religious environment that you talked about where we ran into some opposition setting up our programs. We had a lot of support mm. too, I might add. That mm. You and I were in that environment together. There were some amazing things happening and there were some beautiful, amazing people. Sure. And then there was an element that crept in there that, that felt threatened or whatever that tried to undermine and, and diminish and destroy. And we had to face that, which was really sad. But you know what? I recognise since that I brought some of that on myself and I probably brought some of that down on you out of my behaviour because when I found the joy and serenity of knowing that someone I'd never met 2,000 years ago had died the most punishing death on the cross so that a filthy porn addict like me could have a second chance. I was filled with enthusiasm and I went into that religious environment like a front row forward in a ballet school. And I say to you, thank you, because at that stage of my life, I needed to be shaken up, you know? Really? Yes, really. I was on a journey from being a very, from even 20 years ago before, 15 years ago before we met, I was on this incredibly long and really difficult journey as I look back uh, from being a very uptight, judgmental, 
telegraph pole in a suit. Yeah, basically, right? Uh, very cerebral and intellectual and that's what mattered and and this is right and this is wrong. You know, that was me. And it's been a very yeah, long and difficult journey to come to where I'm at, the point that I'm at. I'm still on the journey, by the way. I don't think we ever finish. No, we never do. And meeting you uh, then and everything we've done together since has been instrumental in my journey, in the transformation of my life to who I am now. Well, that blows me away because I, I oh, just thought... Yeah. I've actually thought about you and, and our mutual mate Jeff um, and a couple of others who went through, I, I can only call it agony. Watching the pain that was coming down on the people who were trying to do good stuff was agonising to watch. And, I, and at times I felt responsible for that because I was a little bit foolish. And no. I trusted too many people. No, no, I, no. I don't know. But we anyway. need that. We, I needed that. Many, we, we all needed that. You have a saying, tell the truth faster, right? Yeah. And that stuck with me yeah. because I'd lived my life not telling the truth, hiding in yeah. many ways. Yeah. When you told your story of your life, and uh, I mean, I was never divorced like you and, yeah. and, and whatnot, but I could identify with those relationship issues that you talked about, yeah. you know, and yeah. the desperation yeah. and the lack of self-worth. And, you know, when you talked about your porn addiction, I could, ident- I could identify with that as well. And so, you know, immediately, I, you know, I was able to form a powerful connection with you and I knew that I was on a journey. I had been on a journey for 10 or 15 years already because I'm particularly dense, right? Some people just get it, you know, yeah, like that. You be dense and have oh, a doctorate. No, the most important stuff in life, you don't learn at uni. Like tying a fish hook. And, yeah, that's yeah. right. You know, I think I'm probably particularly dense in some of the most important things in life. But you walked in and you shook things up. This was the first time you told your testimony, Graham. Mm. And what I thought is if this man could turn his life around from such unhappiness and desperation, from the, really the, the pits, you know, the depths of degradation, and be this confident, positive person whose life is completely transformed and, and wants to, to dedicate themselves to helping others. Mm. Why couldn't I be more like you? Why couldn't, you know, my journey, you know, see some fruit as well? I wanted to be more like you then. Yeah, well, isn't that funny? <laughs> I wanted to be... I wanted to have your knowledge. You had this knowledge. You were like this font of all knowledge. And I, I know that's not a, a thing that you carry very well, but I, I always looked at your knowledge and I thought, gee, I wish I was where he was at. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, you know, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. If you do it right, yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. But I put the wrong value on knowledge before and I needed to put more value on people and on relationships and on openness and on trust and all these things were things that, that you taught me. But this is how God works, Graham. Yeah. You know, you thought that you were learning from me and I thought that I was learning from you and, and we, we both were have been able to grow as a result. But God works like that because he works by bringing mates into our lives, yep. you know, yep. friends. Authenticity. Yeah, authenticity. The trick is to know who those people are, you know. How do you do that? To know who those people are and I won't say stay close. You don't always stay, you know, you don't live in each other's shoes, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I. it's funny, during that whole period where that testing time was happening, there was a very, very defined line drawn in the sand and there were people on one side and people on the other and I saw immense growth in some people we talk about our mate Jeff that was particularly hard on him and he he man he never wavered I I remember a time when uh, one person was saying bad things about me someone someone I loved and trusted and still love 
mm. was saying bad things about me uh, in the work that we were doing that we were we were bringing the church into disrepute and we were we were dragging the church into babylon i didn't even know then what they were talking about and then he said something to me about you know you are the have you heard the story of the wheat and the tares? Well, you're the tares. And <laughs> and I thought, far out. This is really hard to hear from somebody I really love, you know. Mm. And um, the tears were streaming down my cheek. And um, he then said, you're taking this very well. And I thought, well, that's, that's good. And I decided I just wanted <laughs> to hear what he had to say to understand where his pain was. Yeah. And then he said, oh, seeing you're taking it so well, he said, there's a few of us who believe that um, if uh, Michelle... Uh, dressed as a child the way she dresses at church now it's no wonder she was raped mm. and I couldn't believe that that just cut my guts out um, I looked at him and I felt rage pity and anger and uh, every emotion flooded over me and um, and I said to him uh, do you believe that and he said oh it's what I believe is of you know is inconsequential this is what's being said Michelle is obviously a woman. When you look at her, she has a she has a nice shape. She's a beautiful woman to look at for me. But she never dressed provocatively, you know. And I started to see that the problem was this, this guy, the way he was looking at her, not the way she mm. was dressing. I mean, what she meant to do, put a steel tube over her torso and, and make herself look flat. I, I, mm. Anyhow, this guy obviously had major issues. And um, I went up to – I walked away from that meeting with him. And as I walked out of the building – uh, Jeff, who was our church pastor at the time, wonderful man, and uh, other friends, Kim and Moretta, and were there, and they said, what happened? And I said, no, this isn't a safe place for us anymore. We've got to go. Mm. And Michelle said, what happened? And I said, no, no, um, I'm not going to tell you. We're just getting out of here. This is not a safe place. And I thank the other guys for all their love and support, but we can't come back here anymore. Mm. And we jumped in the car, and she said to me, what was said? She said, you promised you'd never hold anything back from me. And I said to her, well... This is what he said. Well, she puffed up and she grabbed the door and she went to charge out the door. She was going to go in there and really deal it, you know, and I grabbed her by the belt and dragged her back into the car and I said, no, we're going home. Um, And we went home and uh, she wrote down her feelings on a piece of paper between the time we got home and about lunchtime. And then we heard this kerfuffle out the front of our house and there were about 70 people getting out of their cars with food from the church. Mm-hmm. And they came up to tell us how much they loved us and um, how shocked they were that that had happened to us and how sad uh, that that had happened. And um, Michelle the next day went to a a meeting at that church and she stood up and let them have it. And I remember Jeff, we started talking about our pastor Jeff. He, um, He stood up to the opponents, the people who were supporting that view of us. Uh, in a fearless way. He put his whole career on the line to defend what he thought was right. Mm-hmm. He walked walked away from his position at the chair. Mm. You were there. I was. You were there. And he walked up to the person who said that, who was still laying those accusations as the meeting was unfolding, and he pointed his finger at him and just told him to sit there and be quiet. And um, I knew then that this guy had put his entire ministry on the line, which I just... It's one of the best men I've ever met, Jeff. He is. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And that's courage. Yeah. Now I've got I've got some. Uh, I won't name them. Uh, he's one. You're one. I've got uh, Kim. I talk about all the time. Uh, another guy, Ian, and a few more. I haven't got a lot of friends, mm. male friends, but the ones I've got, I've kind of weeded out the um, weeded out's not a good term. I've I've grown <laughs> yeah. away from. Yeah. Well, there's a judgment. I've just done a judgment. Far out. I've grown away from the people who were just fair weather. 
Because you know when... Well, that's fine. To do that is not judging them. It's assessing. You're responsible for your own life and the influences yeah. that, that you take on. So you can still love those people and not have much to do with them. That's fine. Yeah, that's right. And that's how I see them. But whenever we got together, it was always, here, have another beer. What did you think of the football last night? Oh, do you think it's ever going to rain? Da, da, da. And any time you tried to talk about the deep, meaningful stuff, they'd just back away. And and um, and so I'm surrounded by mates now who, who have the courage to tell me when they think I'm falling off the tree. Mm. They have the courage to call me on my character defects so that I can grow. And they've had the courage to tell me that I have permission to do the same for them, as you have mm. done. And I, I used to say to you for about 18 months, you need to get over yourself. Couldn't work out what you meant, Graham. Couldn't you? No, not at the have beginning. You worked, have you worked it out yet? I think so. What was I meaning? You're meaning that who I thought I was wasn't who I was. That's exactly right. I got it? You got it. Yay! After, <laughs> after all these years, you actually got it. I used to see you as a prisoner in a box that you'd constructed for yourself, and I just wanted you to burst out of that. Well, I think too many people are. Yeah. In reality, you'd yeah. know from talking to a lot of people. Yeah, and I find myself in there too sometimes. I'm just reflecting on the story you've just told and uh, uh, in another podcast, I remember you saying, why are the churches so empty and the prisons so full? Yeah. There's yeah, your answer, yeah. eh? It is. Now, the sad part about that, that story, let's go back to that for a second because it's relevant. Mm. The guy who made that comment three days later called me on my mobile phone when I was driving home from work and he was in tears and he said, I can't believe I said what I said. I am so desperately sorry. Do you think Michelle will ever forgive me? And I said, I'm sure she will, but you've got to ask her. So it turned out that afternoon we got into our car and we drove around to this guy's house to visit he and his wife. And we, we love them both. We still do. Because they were there at the beginning of our ministry. They were really encouraging and, and friendly. And Michelle walked in and gave him a hug and a kiss and he cried on her shoulder and he said, I'm so sorry. And we talked about it a bit more. And I said to him, hmm. mate, let's just put all this behind us. Uh, let's show everybody in the church that we're solid. So hmm. come to church. Uh, this weekend, and we will go in there and we'll sit together in the same pew mm. and we'll we'll sing hymns together and we'll pray together and we'll listen to the sermon together and let's show everybody that that's what Christians do. They put those things behind them and they get on. But he was so full of judgment of himself that he couldn't bear to do it. And he, I think uh, in the last 10 years, he's only been back to that church three or four times. Mm. And he was mm. he was pivotal in, their, in the everyday running of the church. Mm. I think he was a, you know, he had a deacon role for something like 20 years. Oh, well, like I've said before, when we judge others, the person we're most judging is ourselves. Yeah. But I want to go back, Graham, uh, if that's okay, to something yeah. you asked before about courage, that just, just jumping in in a foolhardy way mm -hmm. isn't real courage or the best kind of courage. I think that courage has to be principled. And you asked me how I do it. Thank you for saying that I... I'm courageous. Uh, how I do it, I... The well, shoe fits. Yeah, I, look, there are principles, you know. It's not just on a whim you... I dive in and make decisions. I live my life knowing that I have a Heavenly Father in Heaven who loves me, who's got my back, who accepts me when I stuff up and trip over. He treats me just like I, any dad would treat his little baby who's learning to walk. Mm. You don't uh, pick him up and shake him and say, you little idiot, you know, when are you going to learn to walk, you know, and and uh, you don't do that. Yeah. You cheer him on, you encourage yeah. him because you know yeah. that with every every mistake 
uh, you know, your child's one step closer yeah. to getting it right. And, yeah. and I believe that that's how God sees me. That's what gives me courage to yeah. keep going and to steer the course, you know, that I believe is, is right. You know, you said, Graeme, when we first met that we were going to work together. I thought that was a really funny, weird thing thing for you to say. And I don't know where that came from. Because we'd only ever just, we'd never even met. We hadn't, that was the first time we'd ever met. I heard you speaking for 45 minutes and it really touched my heart. And I felt there was a kindred spirit between us and I didn't know how that was going to work. And I've engaged with you Mm. in different ways uh, during the last, what, 12 years? Yeah. Like I, I tried to um, support or join in to the ministry that you started. Yeah, you've been invaluable there. Mainly from the sidelines. Then I remember for a time I joined your board. Yeah. That didn't last long. I had to leave the, that board for other reasons. Yep. And then we've just constantly been friends throughout. Sometimes we've seen each other more often, sometimes not. Funny thing is, when you used to live a few kilometres away from where I live, I didn't used to see you as often as I see you now. But I've always been wondering, how is it that we're going to work together? You know, mates encourage. Yeah. And it might be that maybe the greatest, our greatest hits, the greatest work we'll ever do is going to be through these podcasts. I reckon that's the whole thing because um, we had an apprenticeship to serve. We had a 12-year apprenticeship to serve to get to this point. And God knew that. God knew we weren't ready at the time. But I know that when I said that to you, that wasn't me speaking. That was God speaking. And he knew that there was going to be a change in both of us that would bring us to a point where he could really use that for a time to touch whoever may listen to these podcasts or, or read what we write together. I think this is the beginning of something really um, quite notable in our lives. If nobody benefits from this other than you and I, it's going to be a great experience. It's it's not going to be always a mutual admiration society because we've got to be honest because that's part mm. of it. But the big thing I know about men that I've learned in so many years of being one and also talking with them is the importance of honour. Mm. And I think that's a good topic for our next conversation. But in talking about courage, it's courage with wisdom, integrity and authenticity that create honour. And they're, they're the words that have just come to my head, and I'm sure there's more. And a man without honour is an empty shell. So courage and those other things are vital components of who we are as a man and what upholds us through the tough times. And if we haven't got that, then we're always going to feel that we, we've run short and that we've let people down and we're going to start judging ourselves. And, you know, honour is a gift a man gives himself and we must continually pursue that through courage, through wisdom, integrity and authenticity to achieve that. I've never been clear on this honour business, so Mm. let's have the chat. Let's have that chat. It's just been really great talking to you again. And I know we're going to do lots more of these and I look forward to working with you. It's funny. I always knew we would. See (laughs) you, Ellie. Love you, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.